Soul Survivors. Six studies in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Study two, based on chapter two of the book of Daniel, Disturbing Dreams. In chapter two of the book of Daniel, the narrator opens another story from the exile of God's people from Jerusalem to Babylon, which features Nebuchadnezzar. It's linked to the previous story in chapter one. The opening verse of chapter two reads, and in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. You see how the conjunction and links this second story to the first about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar features in each of the opening five chapters of the book of Daniel, and that's not surprising given who he is. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person on planet Earth in the 6th century BC. The story narrated in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel is lengthy and involved. And so it's helpful for us in our study to break it down into bite-sized segments. And there are five of them. The opening segment starts in verse 1 and goes to verse 13, and we're going to entitle it Deadly Dreams, the Deadly Dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. The second segment runs from verses 14 to 23, which we entitle Knocking on Heaven's Door, and the scene switches from Nebuchadnezzar's throne room to Daniel's household. Then the third segment, the middle of these sections in the second chapter, short segment 25 to verse 30, we're back in the throne room where Daniel is interrogated by Nebuchadnezzar. And the fourth segment runs from verses 31 to 45, which we're going to entitle The Direction of Travel, where Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then the chapter closes with the fifth and final segment, a short number of verses from 46 to 49, homage and honour, which is Nebuchadnezzar's response to Daniel's interpretation of his dream. And as we make our way through these five segments of this very involved story, I want us to be alert for the plot line, where the story is leading. And the point of the story, what did it mean for those soul survivors, the exiles, in Babylon, and also the theology of the narrative. What is the story telling us about God? And how that story is being told is found in the language uh, and the text of the story, which was largely written in Aramaic, which was the international language, the lingua franca of the 6th century B.C., Bear these questions in mind, and they will help us not to get lost in the detail of this involved story. So let's begin at the beginning in the first segment, that is verses 1 to 13, Deadly Demands. In verse 2, 
of the text, we read that Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed by dreams which agitated him. The magicians, enchanters, the sorcerers, the intelligentsia of Babylon, the greatest civilization of its day, are summoned to tell King Nebuchadnezzar his dreams. Now, we're not to see this as a Harry Potter type of scenario. No, this is not fun. This is a scary thing. For the dream was scary, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that. The potential of catastrophe was real in his mind. Even though he was the most powerful person on planet Earth, his power, his grip on power, was fragile. And equally scary was the problem these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, the intelligentsia, faced. That's articulated in verse 5. We read, And the king answered the Chaldeans, the intelligentsia, The word for me is sure. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. They're told to reveal both his dream and its meaning. There is no sense in the text as to why the king insisted on this. Reinhold Neighbour, a commentator, a biblical commentator, may be helpful when he noted that the lust for power is prompted by the basic insecurity of human existence. And the frightening thing here in chapter 2 of Daniel is at the heart of the empire, the greatest civilization on earth is a heartless, paranoid, and insecure despot. How brutal life is in Babylon, behind all the glitz and glamour and glory of this magnificent city and its empire. And the wise men, the intellectuals of the royal court, they stand helpless in face of this. Observe their final response to this deadly demand of verse 11. It's a loaded theological statement. We read. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and none can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not on earth. Granted, this is perverted pagan theology, but it is theology for all of that. Only God knows. What's happening in this segment is that we're being told that this is a story about dreams. Verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 9. Repeat the phrase, the dream, the dreams, which need interpretation in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 9. How is the dream to be interpreted? 
And because the dream was not interpreted, Nebuchadnezzar's fury extended to all the wise men, all the intelligentsia of Babylon. They were all to be destroyed because none could interpret the king's dream. Daniel and his friends, the Jewish soul survivors that we came across in chapter one in our first study, are drawn into this royal pogrom by implication as they too were among the wise. They were among the administrators of the Babylonian empire. And the answer to the dilemma in this first segment, who is going to interpret this demanding dream, is revealed in the second segment. Verses 14 to 23, knocking on heaven's door. The segment opens and closes with Daniel appealing to Arioch, the chief of the executioners, in verses 14 and then in verse 24. Notice Daniel's intervention is measured with prudence and discretion. Daniel asks for time, and miraculously time is granted. The deadly dream needs an explanation. That's key. And the scene in verse 17 switches to Daniel's home with Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions who are appraised of the desperate situation. And their recourse? Verse 18, they seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery. That phrase, the God of heaven, is used four times in verses 18, 19, then in verses 37 and 44. The name speaks of God's transcendence, his supremacy over all that is temporal and earthbound. And the God of heaven reveals, he shows, or makes known the hidden themes. In this largely Aramaic section of the book of Daniel, we come across such revealing verbs almost 30 times. The God revealed in this second segment or section of Daniel 2 is a God of revelation. And in verse 19 in this segment, we have the theological centerpiece of this whole section, The God of heaven revealed the mystery to Daniel in a vision of the night. You will notice it took one verse for the prayer of the soul survivors, Daniel and his friends, verse 18, one verse for the answer, which we've just read in verse 19, and then four verses of praise and thanksgiving, almost a psalm in the section verses 20 and 23 uh, of this segment. Steinman, an Old Testament scholar, says that this is the theological centerpiece, not only of this segment, but the whole of the chapter, chapter 2. Listen to Daniel's praise of the God of heaven. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, 
To whom belongs wisdom and might? He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for thou has given me wisdom and strength and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Here is where this story is heading, the so-called direction of travel. The God of heaven who sets up and deposes kings reveals that in the end, in the end, here in this pagan world, this court of Nebuchadnezzar, which is brutal and pitiful, which is in darkness and has no light and cannot make head nor tail of the royal dilemma nor forecast what is to come. The God of heaven knows. Knows what the dream is and knows what is going to go on. This is a put-down of Babylonian thinking and religion and exposes its abject failure to discern what is and what is to come. But there is a God, the God of heaven, the God of the captives, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, the sole survivors who discloses truth in pagan confusion. Segment three runs from verse 25 to verse 30. It is in the throne room. We have a scene change. Daniel is before the throne in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar and is being interrogated by him. And and notice how Daniel is described. He's described as among the exiles from Judah. Verse 25. Try as the Babylonians may to assimilate Daniel and his friends they still retain their identity and roots as Jews from Jerusalem. Daniel Arioch, the chief executioner, states, will make known to the king the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar, who addresses Daniel in his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, asks for confirmation of this assertion in verse 26. Are you able to make known to me? And in response, Daniel repeats the claim of the Babylonian intelligentsia, the wise men, which we looked at in verses 10 and 11. And instead of taking credit for himself, Daniel testifies, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, that is the closing days of history. Nebuchadnezzar's dream turns out to be God's vehicle of communication to a pagan king and dynasty. His dream actually depicts God's plan for the world. But someone must declare, must reveal, or must make known what the dream contains. And that someone is Daniel, which leads to the fourth segment of this story. 
in verses 31 to 45, the direction of travel. Making sense of the dream in these verses, there is a stunning figure, frightening to look at, an image or statue of a man with a head of fine gold, verse 32, an upper body of silver, the same verse, a lower body of bronze, in verse 32 again, and then feet of clay and iron, in verse 33. And then a stone in verse 35. Not cut by hand, was hurled at the statue and hit its feet and the whole edifice collapsed, shattered into small pieces. The interpretation of this figure is in verse 36 and following. The God of heaven there's that repeated refrain, has set up kingdoms and has given power and might and glory to rule the earth. To you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold, verse 38. Another kingdom inferior to you, represented by silver in the upper body, will arise after you. A third kingdom of bronze will also emerge in time. Notice how quickly the writer passes over the second and third kingdoms. They barely get a mention in verse 39. Primary attention falls on Nebuchadnezzar, verses 37 to verse 39. And the fourth kingdom, the clay and iron kingdom, verses 40 to 43. Notice that the statue's splendor dissipates from gold iron. There is a descent towards future fragmentation. History degenerates. It carries in its own germ of disintegration that becomes increasingly apparent as time goes on. How much ink has been spilled on locating these four kingdoms represented in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the statue. Traditionally, they have been identified as Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But more important than identifying these kingdoms is detecting the theological thrust of the narrative in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall crush these kingdoms represented by gold and silver and bronze and iron and clay and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. The God of heaven who sets up and deposes kings, reveals that in the end he will replace all human kingdoms with his everlasting kingdom. This is what the great God, the God of heaven, has made known. The dream is certain, Daniel says. Its interpretation secure in verse 45. And now the final segment, 
closing verses 46 to 49, homage and honour. The king who ordered Daniel's execution, now in verse 46, bows in homage to him. Such irony. And the king calls Daniel's God a revealer of mysteries. Where Babylon's wise men had failed, Daniel came through. Where Babylon's gods were blind, Daniel's God revealed the mystery. And therefore Nebuchadnezzar acclaims Daniel's God as the God of gods, the Lord of kings. And the story concludes in verse 48 and 49. Daniel is honoured. He became a ruler over the province of Babylon, the chief overseer of the wise men. And Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were promoted too. But Daniel was a constant. He remained at the king's court. The God of heaven The sovereign Lord, the great God, had his man Daniel holding the helm of a pagan dynasty in Babylon. Extraordinary. Well, what are we to make and how can we apply this amazing story to our own situation and circumstances in the 21st century? I want to suggest to you, first of all, it all began with a disturbing dream which created Chaos and crisis, it came from nowhere and spread its malevolent wings. A butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon rainforest and a storm saturates our islands, batters our coastlands. There are so many things which lie behind the chaos and crisis of our times. Things which disturb us and which disrupt and destroy our lives. Like Daniel and his friends, we live in such times when out of nowhere, disaster can strike. Think of Wuhan, China, and the emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic. Two, the disturbing dream reveals how futile pagan religion is. Its failure is there for all to see in this chapter. A paranoid, keen, helpless intelligentsia and brutal repression. Paganism is nothing but a religious cul-de-sac. And we live at a time of what's called the new paganism, but there's nothing new under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes notes. Paganism, old or new, is nothing but empty and dark. Christians hold that there is a God who knows and orders the course of history down through the rise and rubble of nations until the day when he sets up a kingdom that can never fail or be destroyed. This was no brilliant insight of Daniel and his friends, but was revealed by the God of heaven, who reveals mysteries, the God of revelation, the God who speaks, 
the God whose words are contained for us in the Bible. Now, to have a God who reveals mysteries does not mean that we have a God who reveals everything and veils everything. He doesn't show us if house prices shall rise. Of, of when the COVID-19 pandemic will recede and be behind us. No, he only reveals what we need to know. Daniel's praise, his pay on his psalm in this chapter is helpful. He assures us that even what God doesn't tell us, he knows. Verse 22, he knows what is in the darkness. We can walk into the future confident with a God like that who shows us where history is going towards his unshakable kingdom and who assures us that despite the uncertainties and the fragilities in life, he is a God who knows what's in the darkness. And the one who accompanies us through shadowy places. Three. How were the exiles, the sole survivors in Babylon, meant to live in the light of this revelation in Daniel Chapter 2. In Dugud, another Old Testament commentator suggests that in verses 48 and 49, 48 and 49 may hold the answer to that question. It is not coincidental, he notes, that this chapter ends with Daniel and his friends promoted to responsible positions in Babylon. These men didn't isolate themselves from the kingdom of this world. As they waited for God to establish his kingdom, rather they poured themselves into seeking the welfare of their temporary exiled home in Babylon. There they serve with distinction. And we too in our time, as we await the coming of God's kingdom in Christ, we too have to serve with distinction where we have been placed within the fading kingdoms of this world as we await the stone kingdom of Christ. Which brings us to our final application. Jesus is the stone that crushed the kingdoms of this world because he is the one who, 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 whose hands, into whose hands the Father has committed all judgment judgment of this world, past and present and future. We read that in the New Testament in John chapter 5 and verse 22. In Matthew 21 and verses 42 to 45, Jesus asks, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Christ is the stone. He is our rock, our refuge and strength. His kingdom has come at his first appearing and one day it will fill the whole earth And in the meantime, we take heart, for his kingdom 
will have no end. Listen to the words of Isaac Watts. Wonderful hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does it, successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore. The moon shall wax and wane no more. Blessings abound where'er he reigns. Prisoners leap to lose their chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all who suffer want are blessed. We close with a story from the 4th century BC, two centuries after the fall of Babylon, the demise of the Persians, and the Greeks who followed them, to the Roman Emperor Julian, who reigned as Emperor of Rome for 20 months, and who, like many military adventurers, was persuaded, enticed to go to war with the Persians, of the east. He was killed near Baghdad. Out of the blue, an arrow found its way to his liver and he died the night after his wound. And while Julian's expedition was in progress and there was an army of 65,000 men and a huge fleet, one of the largest armies and fleets ever gathered, One of Julian's followers asked a Christian in Antioch in Syria what the carpenter's son was doing. And the Christian replied, The maker of the world, whom you call the carpenter's son, is employed in making a coffin for the emperor. And within days, news came to Antioch of Julian's death. That is where Daniel chapter 2 leaves us. Jesus, the stone, has a coffin for every empire and emperor. The only true security is in the kingdom of the carpenter's son.